This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now, on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Marianne Hitt. And I'm Anna Jane Joyner. This is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. Today, we talk with Antha Williams, the brilliant lead of environmental programs at Bloomberg Philanthropies, about how they are providing leadership on climate in these chaotic times, and also about the importance of women's leadership on climate. It is a great conversation. We can't wait for you to hear it. But first, Anna Jane and I have some catching up to do. Marianne, I am still like beaming from our time at the Work It Festival, which for our listeners is this incredible all women's podcast festival that we just attended out in LA. Um, And not only did we just learn so much and meet incredibly brilliant fellow lady podcasters, I was just really overcome with the energy of being surrounded by so many badass women. It was just such a palpably collaborative and nourishing space. And it kind of got me thinking, like, what would it look like to try to create something like that within the climate space? Yes, we are brainstorming about that. So if that's of interest to you all, get in touch with us, tweet at us, because uh, it was it was very cool. Thank you, WNYC, for such an amazing festival. It was everyone from radio icon shows like Radio Lab and This American Life and Two Dope Queens to lots of folks who didn't have a podcast and were just thinking about starting one. And it was just amazing being around all of those women. And I'm very excited for our listeners to hear our conversation today with another very inspiring woman, Antha Williams, who leads all the environmental programs at Bloomberg Philanthropies, which is the the foundation set up by Michael Bloomberg for all of his philanthropic work. And uh, I think folks know that they're providing a lot of leadership now on climate, which we can talk more about. But she also offers some great perspectives on the importance of women's leadership in our movement. So I can't wait for folks to hear that interview. But before we talk with our Anna Jane, climate has been showing up and making uh, pop culture news in some surprising places, don't you think? Yes, I'm totally loving it. As you probably know, I'm a little bit of a late night TV fiend. And Colbert is going after the climate conversation. So is Samantha B. And it's just I love that they bring so much humor t- to this conversation. It's so necessary. Yep. Tonight, Skelton, head of the Environmental Protection Agency, Scott Pruitt. Don't worry, the EPA is taking some action because last week, Pruitt pulled EPA scientists out of a climate change conference talk. Oh, that is a nerd... nerd punishment. Uh, Gentlemen, you cannot participate in that academic conference. I'm also banning USB drives on lanyards and debates on whether Marvel has overextended its universe. For the record. So... Marianne, give me some more context. Like, what's going on with the Clean Power Plan? What's going on with the next climate talks? What do we need to know? Why are Stephen Colbert and uh, Samantha Bee and others uh, roasting Scott Pruitt at every turn? (laughs) Exactly. Well, the biggest thing that Scott Pruitt has done lately on climate, and he is the head of the EPA. Um, He has done many, uh, as, as Colbert and Samantha Bee point out, many terrible things for our clean water and clean air. But about a two weeks ago, he announced that he was going to repeal the clean power plan. And the clean power plan is our nation's main 
climate policy. It requires power plants, which are our biggest source of climate pollution, to reduce their emissions. And it was put in place after millions of public comments and many years of work during the Obama years. And now the very slow process of undoing it, uh, he has started that. And I will say a couple things. One is there's going to be lots of opportunities for public comment. There may even be a public hearing, but there's a public comment period that's open now. So we'll put a link in the show notes for how folks can uh, can weigh in and comment with EPA, or you can just go to sierraclub.org. Uh, but the other thing that we're going to get into a little bit in the interview is that we're actually, because of the work of the Beyond Coal campaign and other grassroots groups around the country, we're actually on track to meet the targets of the Clean Power Plan as early as next year, because we're moving so rapidly in this country now to replace coal with clean energy. So take that, Scott Pruitt. <laughs> I like I love this conversation with Antha and just this this whole larger conversation because I feel like it does feel like a dark moment in our nation's history to put it mildly and yet there's so much hope and so much forward momentum that's still happening and I just I really think we need to be elevating that story and, and just reminding ourselves that even though it feels very regressive and dark there's still a lot of things we can do and a lot of hope. Yes, and as Antha kind of takes this behind the scenes in the interview uh, to the day after Scott Pruitt announced he was repealing the Clean Power Plan when Michael Bloomberg came to the Sierra Club offices to announce that he was doubling down and making another big contribution to many organizations who are working to move this country from coal to clean energy. And uh, he has not only stepped up in that way, which of course supports the campaign that I lead, and I'm incredibly grateful for that, uh, but he is also stepping up to provide leadership in the climate talks in Germany. So um, those are coming up. Anna Jane, you and I were in Paris. Ah, the memories. Don't you wish we could go back there? I'm so jealous that I can't come this time. I just want to like sit and have a glass of wine in Germany with you. <laughs> the Paris climate talks where we were toasting in uh, joy with the hope for our planet. Uh, it's definitely a different, a different vibe, shall I say, because, you know, we have Trump uh, having pulled us or t taken steps to try to pull us out of the Paris Agreement. And yet we're we as the United States are going into this next round of international climate talks. They happen every year and we're sending a delegation and it's all very confusing. But Michael Bloomberg has stepped up. He is basically providing the big tent where literally the physical actual tent where the whole U.S. kind of delegation will meet and have presentations and talks and displays and whatnot. So he's stepping up in that way. He's also brought together this coalition that is called uh, America's Pledge, or we are still in of all these mayors and governors and businesses who are committed to meet the Paris target. And I get to go and be there and be part of it. And I am so excited. And I will, uh, I might bring my podcasting equipment with me. I might do some reflections when I get back, but either way, I'm excited to be part of it. And as you said, Anna Jane, just uh, keep sending this message over and over that we are going to keep moving to clean energy in this country and we're going to meet our Paris commitments. And even if we aren't getting leadership from the White House, we're getting it from all kinds of other places. Yes, it's so important to remember. And uh, with that, let's go to our interview where we get to talk about this at length. Go behind the scenes on all this exciting stuff with Anthony Williams. So let's go to that interview right after this. Mm -hmm. 
Hi, my name is Emily, and I live in Tacoma, Washington. Here's your dinner party climate fact. For decades, coal-fired power plants were the biggest source of climate pollution in the United States, but that is changing. Over half of the coal plants that were operating in 2010 are now slated for retirement. That's 263 coal plants. Antha Williams, welcome to No Place Like Home. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are very excited to talk with you about uh, women's leadership in the climate movement and about uh, the leadership that you and Bloomberg Philanthropies are providing right now at a critical moment on climate. Um, But before we go there, I know people have heard of Mike Bloomberg. They have probably heard of his philanthropy and Bloomberg Philanthropies. But can you just give us an overview of what the environment program is? Can you just tell us a little more about it? Sure. Um, Bloomberg Philanthropies is the home of all of um, Mike Bloomberg's work to change the world. And the mission of of Bloomberg Philanthropies is to ensure better, longer lives for the greatest number of people. So it's firmly an organization that's really puts people at the center of all of of our work. And um, public health is probably the uh, longest established um, of our of our five program areas within the environmental programs which I oversee we do um, four main tracks of work um, you are of course very familiar with our beyond coal program which seeks to move the U.S. beyond coal to cleaner sources of energy and save lives and address climate change in the course of doing that. Um, We also have a program around sustainable cities, which is global. We also have uh, work around oceans, protecting the oceans, and newly actually some work to identify the coral reefs that are the most important to save. And then we have work around sustainable finance. And that really brings in Mike Bloomberg's um, credibility and, and knowledge, obviously, as a, an entrepreneur and, and the founder and head of the financial and data company Bloomberg LP. I'm really excited about the coral reef work in particular as a, a beach baby, an ocean lover. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your kind of personal journey and how you got into this line of work and, and how you went from being a grassroots organizer to leading the Bloomberg Philanthropy's Environment Program, which is a huge and imp- like massively important job. Thank you. I, I wouldn't say that I um, ever had the plan that I wanted to work in environmental philanthropy when I grew up. But when I was in college, I um, was studying biology. I thought I would be an ecologist or a marine biologist and loved the kind of field work and got scuba certified and did research dives and spent a chunk of my time as an undergraduate in places like Jamaica and Costa Rica doing field research. But I also got interested in women's studies and took a couple classes with some amazing feminist historians and really began to sort of think more about um, what I was interested in in terms of protecting the environment, but the role of activism in in making that happen. So I think I, I kind of began to identify as an activist before I really even totally knew what activism was or how to be an activist. And so when I graduated, I was really lucky to find a program called Green Corps, 
that's a fellowship program for teaching um, recent college graduates the skills and strategies that that they need to to run environmental campaigns and and do grassroots and advocacy organizing. And through that, um, really got to know a, a number of different environmental groups and consumer groups and approaches and, and strategies and really fell in love with, with that kind of work. And, um, you know, now what, what's our joint work? I, I know lots more about it now 20 years later. And so it sort of feels like it's come full circle. You know, Marianne and I were on the road um, for a lot of the spring and early summer with this um, documentary that we um, produced at Bloomberg Philanthropies with Radical Media called From the Ashes that really highlights the work of the U.S. Beyond Coal campaign. And I think one of the central stories that that came through in that film was women's leadership and, and women who got involved not even because they identified as as environmental activists like I did, but because they saw the health of their families um, in jeopardy, and they really were mad about that and angry and and fired up and and turned their resources to to fighting that. So it, it feels like it's come full circle. Thank you for sharing your story. We have a similar uh, path. I also started with ecology and quickly realized that my skills were better suited on the communications and activism side. <laughs> oh, really? That's so funny. Well, I'd love to hear uh, from that journey. Um, now you're you're leading Bloomberg Philanthropies Environment Program at a time when Michael Bloomberg and the foundation are really feel, filling the leadership vacuum in the United States now that Trump has announced he's going to try to exit the Paris Climate Agreement. And I expect, you know, our listeners are probably wondering sort of what's it like behind the scenes and and uh, what's the motivation, um, you know, right now? What, is it, what does it feel like to be part of that team? Um, so if you just want to share a little about, you know, maybe for folks who don't know as much, what's the, um, what kind of leadership are you all trying to play or, or provide right now? And what does that feel like behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah. When Trump uh, on June 1st announced that he intended to pull the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement, Mike Bloomberg personally was just really um, affronted and and fired up. And so he actually (laughs) got on a plane and flew to Paris to stand up with the the president of France, Macron, and um, Paris Mayor Anne Hidalgo, both of, of whom are, are obviously important um, caretakers of the, the Paris Agreement and climate um, advocates in their own right, um, and stood up and said, listen, you know, what we hear from Washington is one thing, but the truth is that, that the U.S. is charging forward on climate action below the, the national level with leadership from cities and states and businesses, and we can hit the the targets of the Paris Agreement with with or without Washington. I think that was a really important moment. And um, I can say, you know, at the environment program here, our phones have never rung off the hook like they did in in those moments after that announcement with with everybody from CEOs to, to city mayors to governors who were saying, what can we do? This is this is exactly the message that we need to send to the world and and we really want to 
be involved. And so we've now named that effort America's Pledge, which is really the pledge of, of these cities, states, businesses, colleges, and universities to, to continue to move forward on climate change. And that's co-chaired by, by Mike Bloomberg and, and Governor Jerry Brown of California. And now there's thousands of cities. It, it really almost overnight went to move to about 300 cities that, that were part of that effort saying, you know what, we're going to we're going to charge ahead and uh, continue to cut our climate emissions in, in every way we can within our city in order to meet the Paris Agreement. And I think at the end of the day, it's possible that a lot of people who had gotten complacent or, or just assumed that we were going to move in the right direction are, are really actually motivated to do a lot more than they might otherwise have done um, because of how awful Trump uh, has been on, on climate change. I don't know what you guys think. I mean, we, we see it from all quarters of people just saying, you know, count me in. I'm ready to give money. I'm ready to give time in a way that I just wasn't before. On the day that he made that announcement, my cousin, who's like a plastic surgeon, like a proud Republican, as far away from a climate activist as you can imagine, was texting me and just freaking out. Like, this is horrible. He's crazy. Like, and I was like, well, OK, yeah. if this is galvanizing Clayton, then then there's hope here. <laughs> like, we can yeah. do something with yeah. this. Yeah. And it's it's the thing that's really cool to your question about being part of of Mike Bloomberg's team, because he's so both optimistic about what we can do, but also really impatient for results in the short term. And so not only did he stand up and, and make that commitment, but then he also put money behind it. So he said, if if the U.S. walks away and, and, and as Trump has said, spends no U.S. money on um, climate efforts at the U.N., Bloomberg Philanthropies is going to step in and fill that gap. It, it turns out that's about $15 million over, over this year and next year. Well, and then I think you and I both were part of that again a couple of weeks ago, uh, the day after Scott Pruitt announced he was revoking the clean power plan. Do you want to say a little bit more about uh, that announcement a couple of weeks ago? And again, sort of what was, the, what was it like behind the scenes? What was the thinking behind the timing of coming in the next day to D.C. and announcing a big renewal of support to the Beyond Coal campaign, which I very much appreciate. <laughs> it was a really exciting moment um, two weeks ago when uh, we had been at work for quite a long time on a, a package of grants that um, includes the Sierra Club's very effective Beyond Coal campaign team, as well as a number of other groups like the League of Conservation Voters and Environmental Defense Fund, who increasingly have really seen the role of, of um, tackling coal as, as central to making climate progress. So we had been, we had had this package of grants uh, totaling $64 million over the next three years between, between now and 2020 um, in the works. And on Monday, we got word that the Trump administration announced that on Tuesday, Scott Pruitt was going to roll back the, the clean power plan, the first ever um, carbon limits on uh, pollution from, from power plants. And so um, I thought, you know, that this is a really important moment. And we actually have not yet talked publicly about this next phase of the work to close down coal-fired power plants. It would be really powerful if we actually stood up with the Sierra Club and with some of the other partners and just showed the, the breadth of this movement to move beyond coal and also um, just the deep commitment to get to where we need to go on climate change um, in the next three years. So I thought it was it was just incredibly exciting. And then to be in that room with you, Marianne, and see 
Mike Bloomberg and Carol Browner, this amazing climate leader who was the EPA administrator under um, Bill Clinton, standing up and talking about how League of Conservation Voters, where she's the board chair, is going to stand up and fight these fights where they're political at the state level to win clean energy policy victories right alongside the Sierra Club group of, of organizers and, and activists, um, was really just a, a very um, fun, energizing moment, um, which I think is really important in this time where people feel a little beat down by by all these these rollbacks. Well, thank you again. It was an incredible moment sitting there realizing that the campaign that I helped to lead is going to be a major engine of um, of progress in the, the next round of climate talks, which are coming up in Bonn here in November, where Michael Bloomberg will be playing a big role. Um, and so just thank you. I think we are, this is a time when people need hope so much. And you and I both know we can keep moving forward and we can meet that Paris target thanks to the work that we're doing together with lots and lots of other groups. And so thank you for for making that possible. I want to um, turn it back over to Anna Jane. So I'm really curious. One of my biggest passions is really um, bringing more kind of art and creativity um, and just really good, thoughtful content to climate campaigning. And I, I really loved the From the Ashes movie that y'all just that y'all helped you know bring to life because I think that that really personal storytelling and using just you know beautiful production to get those stories out there is is it's historically been a bit of a gap within the climate space. And and I just love to hear more you know what you think we could help do to to try to bring more of these stories to life. I totally agree with you that it's just, it's been an area that we've under invested in, in terms of arts and culture and, um, and bringing that voice and perspective and sort of new lens to bear on the work to, to address climate change. I learned so much getting to, to work as a producer on the, the From the Ashes film, just about how people who are make their careers and 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 lives and and their passion and experiences really around storytelling like how much richness they bring to this that that those of us who are you know advocating in in city halls or state legislatures or in Washington or doing grassroots organizing like it's just it's a little bit of a different skill and approach and so I think um, we certainly are at, coming out of that experience with From the Ashes, thinking, okay, where where else can we bring that kind of storytelling and those kind of tools to bear, um, but in a way that has really measurable um, results. So one of the kind of interesting things I think about From the Ashes, and, and Marianne, you may want to speak to this because you were you the one who was really making this happen. The, the film was used as an organizing tool to engage more people in the successful Beyond Coal campaign. And, and Sierra Club and other partners organized over 250 grassroots screenings of that film. And so that's where, to me, it was a great film, even if very few people saw it. But the fact that hundreds of thousands of people saw it through these grassroots efforts and then um, felt motivated and like, they could do something that would really matter, that that's really significant. So I, I don't know what your experience was like on those grassroots screenings, Marianne, but but from my perspective, that's like a this is how this should work um, kind of example. Well, thank you for saying that. And I, you know, I actually just participated in a screening about a week ago in the town where I live and people are coming up to me on the street 
uh, just from that screening a week ago, even though the film has been out in the world for several months now. So I do think the other, it is an important tool for advocates. And I've definitely agree that we as the climate movement have not done a great job of leveraging the skills of master storytellers. And so I'm thankful to you for having the vision and the insight to to bring that into the work that we're doing, because we do get so so focused on the work in front of us, we can forget to tell the story. And stories are how we learn and how we share and grow. And, and we have a, a lot of great stories around climate that we haven't been telling. And that's part of why Anna Jane and I are doing this podcast too, is to try to draw out some of those stories. So in the course of that, I didn't say, but it is like in the storytelling thing, one thing I've been thinking about is just the annoying, the thing that I hate, that's like the sort of stereotype about women in the movement, which is like guys have big ideas and then women are like the really competent implementers and (laughs) coalition builders. And And so I sort of feel like to answer your question more about just like arts and culture and storytelling, you know, being disciplined ourselves enough to look up from the immediate work at hand to think about what's the compelling story of what's happening here that's going to capture someone's imagination Hmm. um, or or really um, just demonstrate what you know, what the potential is and and the kind of success we can have. And I I feel like women, myself included, don't tend to do that because we're like trying not to be self-promoting or we don't feel like we need to like recap what's happening (laughs) for a public audience. Like people can kind of understand that themselves, but I feel like we could be a lot more um, disciplined in making ourselves do that. Too. And I think too, and I could nerd out on this all day, but, but I think that a lot of it has to do with time. Um, like we just don't build that kind of thinking into our campaigning very often. Yeah. But like my, like my business partner, it comes out of the marketing space where like that creative thinking is built into how they actually look at the work they do. And yeah. I learned so much from him. And that's like, it does take time to be creative and to tell great stories. And I would agree with Antha that I think as women, we are worried about being too self-promoting. And we're, we, I will say that I second guess myself about, oh, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn. I don't want to talk about myself so much. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. And, um, and so I do think we, we second guess ourselves as women in, in ways, the kind of the way, ways that we're socialized and brought up and we're kind of, yeah. you know, waiting for the male storytellers to tell the stories and, and we are the implementers and do the work and we have to break out of that. And it may be a little uncomfortable, but I think it's important. It's so true. And like in the, in the worst case, like what, so what if you promote yourself and your work? Like your work is really important, Marianne. (laughs) So more people should know about it. Um, and yours too, Anna Jane. So like we should, I mean, self-promotion shouldn't be, um, when you're an advocate and an activist, I don't think you should be, um, it, as long as it's in service of, of telling the story of the work, that's not something to be so afraid of. Um, and in addition, I feel like the, the best answer to that is the day-to-day work that we do to bring up the next generation of women. So I spend a lot of my time thinking about, okay, where can I... Um, you know, make grants that are supporting women who are leading in really important ways. Or when I'm, uh, you know, working with staff or spending time with key partners, am I doing that in a way that's 
that's um, supporting women's uh, voices. And, and that is and part leadership. of why we started this podcast to, you know, to, so that we could kind of find our own voices more, to be honest, because that can be hard to do. And then I think really to elevate mm -hmm. the voices of other women leaders and create that space to say, it's okay, come tell us your story. We want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. And we're asking. So it's not just you. Yeah. We're, we're asking and we want to hear it and we're interested. So it's not just you sort of promoting yourself or, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah, not, it's, you're not just doing that thing that feels uncomfortable, but you're telling the movement its own story, which we have to do. Hopefully we will do that. Hopefully our listeners have taken uh, some of that away from this interview. And Antha, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, you are an inspiring leader and a visionary leader. And, uh, I think also an inspiration to lots of other women in the movement. So thank you for sharing your time with us. And thanks for all your great work. Thank you so much. Right back at you. Um, your work is incredible. And, uh, and I love working with you. Um, so thanks so much for, for having me, Marianne and Anna Jane. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. All right, y'all, that does it for us and Anna Jane. And I want to thank you so much for listening. And we also want to thank our sponsor. Thank you, Sierra Club. And thank you to the awesome band River Wireless for our theme music. They also have an awesome Instagram account, by the way. You should follow them there. I know. I love following them. They're the best. So this episode was produced by the marvelous Zach Mack, who hasn't yet submitted his public comment in support of the Clean Power Plan. But he's going to go to sierraclub.org and make it happen ASAP. And we'll help you. you. We'll make it easy at the Sierra Club. And we also hope you will subscribe to us. Subscribe on iTunes and please, please leave us a review there because uh, that is how other people can find the podcast and it really helps us out. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be posting all episodes and updates about upcoming episodes on our Twitter page at NPLH Podcast. So be sure to follow us there. We would love to hear from you. If you like our show, if you have any questions, if you want to contribute a dinner party climate fact, please tweet at us. Again, we are at NPLH Podcast. And remember, there's no place like home. <laughs>